called us to come into this place to worship you today. We ask that your name might be lifted up and that you might be glorified in all that we say. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. Probably no surprise to you I've chosen to preach uh, from the book of Romans. Um, you know, I think that uh, there was somebody that said to me, yeah, my wife and I were talking about this, and we knew that Romans was coming up, and we figured Father Tom will preach from Romans, and I did. So uh, I, I am. It's kind of an interesting passage that we have. I told Pam that I didn't want to preach it. It was all theological, you know. We could talk about soteriology. We could talk about Christology. We could talk about homardiology. We could talk about pneumatology. We could talk about all of those things because all of them were in here. And then she said to me, just make it so they can understand. <laughs> so let's see if we can make this passage so that not only you, but I can understand what God's saying to us. As we come to this passage, particularly in Romans chapter 7, we find that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls, we called, it, called this passage perhaps the most difficult passage in the Bible. The difficulty comes in the sense that we do not know whether the passage is talking about a person who is saved or unsaved. While that may be the question that needs to be answered at some time, that's not the question that I want to answer for us today. I would suggest to you that this person who is talking in Romans chapter 7 verses 21 through 24 is a person who has been dealing with the concept of the, the vandalism of shalom. We've talked about that before. Back in the garden, when Adam and Eve were there, they had peace. Everything was wonderful. Everything was fine. Sin entered the world. Plantiga says that at that particular time, there was a vandalization of that shalom. It was torn apart. There was no longer the peace that God had with man at that particular time. And the thing that we need to understand is that when there is sin in our lives, there is no peace at that point with God. We have been separated. Uh, it's, it's a time when we have moved away from him. What I'd like to suggest to you today, that the answer to the problem of sin is found in placing our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior for our redemption and faith in the Holy Spirit who comes to us from Christ for our sanctification. Now, when we look at the book of Romans, one of the things that we need to see is that this is a very theological book. He begins with an introduction. That introduction says, this is why I'm, this, th this is who I am, this is what I think. Then it begins with the concept of, of, of the idea of condemnation. So from chapter one, verse 18, on through probably chapter three, verse 21, we deal with the concept that no man can come to God outside of faith in Jesus Christ alone. There is condemnation. There is condemnation because of the sin that you and I had when Adam sinned. The second part of this book has the idea of justification. That is, God made a way so that we could get back with him to the place where we could have peace. And we usually find that in uh, probably uh, at the end of chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. We come to the section in which we find Psalm, Romans chapter 7, 
and that is normally considered to be a portion of uh, Romans that deals with the concept of sanctification. That is, I am moving now more toward Christ. I have, I have, I have moved away from the sin of the first three chapters by justification, and now I can move on so that my life is more of what God wants it to be. Now, the problem that we have in Romans chapter 7, verse 21, let me just read it for you again. Listen to it. And so I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So the first thing that we see in this particular passage is that the writer, in some way, is dealing with the concept of, of sin. Particularly in this section, I would suggest to you that sin, once again, is the lack of satisf satisfaction with God. This person is not satisfied with God. He keeps going back, or he goes from time to time, depending on your view. He goes back to a place where he allows the flesh, or that, that a part of him that at one time was separated from God because of sin, and he keeps going back to that, or he goes back to that, and that causes problems. One of the reasons that I probably lean toward this being uh, someone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ is the fight that's going on. Now, we could, we could say that this person has been, uh, that the Holy Spirit has begun to work in this person uh, before he came to know Christ and this and that. But uh, when I look at this, it just seems to me that this is a person who is saying, you know what, God, I'm not satisfied with the things are in my life. I have this. I, I, I can do this better. I know better ways to do this. So that there is that thing that separates us from the glory of God. Sin is living in the flesh and brings about death. Death came from Adam because he sinned. Death, remember, is not annihilation or cessation. Death is separation. So that if you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, commit a sin, there is a separation between the fellowship of God that we want, that we had, and where we are now. That's why we go back to 1 uh, John chapter 1. If any man says that he doesn't sin, he's a liar, and he tries to make God a liar. Because we're all there. You and I bring in with us our, um, our, the, the, the aspect of sin that has been in our lives. And um, in all honesty, you know, you, you know how, have you ever heard that preacher that say, you know, sin is terrible. It's not something you want. Well, Satan has made sin something that's, hey, man, this is pretty good. But the problem with that is what? It's only temporary. And it moves me away from who God is and what God is and all that he can give. Paul deals with this type of person over in Galatians chapter 5. You'll remember the passage over there, won't you? When he says that there is a division between the flesh and the spirit. He will tell the Galatians that there is warfare 
between the flesh and the spirit, as we see right here in Romans chapter 7. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They stand out. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he goes on to say that those who live such a life on a regular basis need to expect not to see the kingdom of God. It's one of the things that I, I think that we fail to do uh, when we read the New Testament. Time after time, God warns, if your life is not what, what it should be in the Spirit, maybe you need to take a look and see what you're trusting for what you want to have happen in your life. Then he comes to verse 25. Love 25. Wretched man that I am, he says. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So the aspect is flesh, sin, spirit, pleasing God, there's life. Flesh, death, spirit, life. You know, the only other time that that word wretched, the Greek word wretched is used, is found over in Revelation chapter 3. Did you know that? We all know that, right? I didn't know that until I studied it. So goes to show you how important it was in my classes in theology, right? But the thing that's kind of interesting to me, we're in Revelation chapter 3, where the Apostle John is writing to the seven churches. So he's writing to the church at Laodicea, okay? In, seven, in, verse, in, chapters, I'm sorry, in verse 17 of chapter 3, he says these words, For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched. That's the word, same word that, that, that Paul uses back in, in, in Romans. I, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Whoa. Some company there, isn't there? Laid out. The interesting thing about the church of Laodicea, let's just take a look at it. What gets us to the verse 17? Well, John writes, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I hate Jesus Christ. The true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you that be either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's what he says to the church in Laodicea. They thought they had everything together. They were rich, they said. We've got money. 
They had fine clothes, they said. We've got everything that we need. And he says to them, you are wretched. You are pitiable. You are poor. The way you act is not a way that brings glory to God. And as a matter of fact, the writer to the, uh, in Revelation to the church at Laodicea basically says, you make me sick. You make me sick. They weren't cold, that is. They weren't refreshing. And, and there are reasons for this, but I don't want to get into it. You're not hot either. You're not even good for a good cup of tea. You're just out there. You kind of move around. You do this. You do that. Sometimes you follow the flesh, and every once in a while you say, you know, God is good. And the interesting thing that we have in this passage is one of the, probably one of the verses that's known perhaps best in the New Testament. It's Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. You see it in a picture all the time. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open, I will come into him and I will sup with him and, or eat with him and he with me. The interesting thing is that we so often use that passage of scripture to bring people to know and love Jesus Christ, but it's talking to a church who already knows Jesus Christ, but who is not living the way they ought to live. Behold, I stand at the door and I am knocking. I want to come in and have fellowship with you. If you will open the door, I will come in, I will sit with you, I will eat with you, I will have fellowship with you, and our God will be glorified. So it's interesting to me that he says that. Their works were neither good, hot, or cold. He invites them to come back, just as he invites the church of Jesus Christ to come back. Now, we have this person here who is, who is not satisfied or moves out and says, my flesh knows better what I want than your spirit does. Then he begins in verse 25 of chapter 7. He had asked the question in verse 24, who, who, who will deliver me from this? Well, over in Revelation, it told the answer, didn't it? Thanks be to God, he says in verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Then he comes over into chapter 8, verse 1, and one of the great passages is, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. The thing that we must understand and the thing that we must recognize about how to get out of that mess or to not be part of a wretched man that I am is that, number one, we go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul reminds the people that by faith they have peace. 
When I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, God said, you have peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, to move on, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So he says to the people in Romans, basically chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8, remember back in chapter 5, and, and of course you need to understand, Paul didn't have chapters and verses. He's just asking them to remember what he already said, basically. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you now have peace with God. When Adam sinned, by the way, if we read on through Romans chapter 5, and you would remember there was a fantastic sermon preached on Romans 5, chapter 12. And you will remember all of that. Wherefore, by one man sin in the world, death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Through one man, salvation comes through Jesus Christ. So the one man brought about death. The other man brought about life. The one man brought about separation. The other man brought about, uh, bought, brought about a reinstitution of peace with God. And that's what he's talking with them about here. We need to remember, if we are to be the people that God wants us to be, we need to remember from where we came. And where we came is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Love it when Father Don does his illustration at, at funerals where he has the three men. And one of the things that he'll often say is that you've got the sinner that stands over here. And the sinner oftentimes says, look, um, I, I want to get back with God, so I'll start to pray. I'll, I'll start to give. John says, you do that, no matter what. You give. And number three, I'll do good works. I'll go to church. I'll do those things. And Father Don reminds us that those things fall at the feet of Jesus, not counting for any, uh, the God, not counting for anything. The only thing that counts is that Jesus Christ steps between God the Father and me. And I said, Jesus, you're the one who can give me life. And so he becomes the one who gives me life. That's what Paul is saying to these people. You have justification. Now the question is, how do you live in sanctification? You had problem with sin? Jesus Christ took care of the root of the sin, but now where do we go from here? So in Jesus, there's no condemnation. We can move on. So the remainder of the, uh, the verses we have, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law cannot bring you to God. You know why? You can't do it. You can't do it. And if you think you can do it, there's pride in your life, and you better get that taken care of. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Ah, there's our Christology that we could talk about. Christ came. He looked and, and talked and walked like us. But he was only in the likeness because there was no sin could go to back to Philippians chapter 2 and we could see all of that working out. 
The Spirit sets us free from being controlled. God has given us the Spirit. I love what John Piper says. Evangelicals have done a superb job of evangelizing people, bringing them to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But they are failing to provide believers with approaches to living that keep them going and growing in spiritual relationships with Him. In other words, there are so often that we say, come know Jesus Christ. You come to know Jesus Christ, everything's good. Go, go and live. Well, that's not what the New Testament, that's not what the Old Testament is about. When we have a relationship with God, we live differently. When God's Spirit is in our lives, we live differently. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about being perfect. I have to tell you, this, this year has been, this, the last couple of years have been hard years for me. Because I've looked back over my life and I've seen things that I've done and things that I haven't done. And I'm saying, God, how much time have I wasted? Because I didn't do the things that I should do. And I did the things that I shouldn't do. You can't use me. And my wife reminds me that God loves me. And no matter how ancient I am, he can use me. Right? So, we look at it and we say, okay, I've come to know Jesus Christ. My father's favorite verses were Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And that's usually where we stop. But there's a verse that comes right after that. You know what that says? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You see, coming to know Jesus Christ is only the beginning. It's only the time when I can start to be what God wants me to be. I need to let his spirit come into my life as I look at God's word and I'm guided by God's spirit to be what he wants me to be. That's what Paul's talking about. You try to do it on your own. You say, okay, I've come to know Jesus Christ. I can do all of this on my own. But guess what? How did we begin in verse, 20, uh, verse 21? The law says that there's problems out there and that sin is very close by. The flesh is very close by. I don't know about you. Flesh is very close by with me. And I need to be very, very, very careful. But I need to understand that the only way I can be what God wants me to be is through the ministry of his Holy Spirit in my life. The only way. I come to Jesus by faith. I have to live by faith to be what God wants me to be. Thomas A. Terrence, who served as president of the CIS, C.S. Lewis Institute says, the Holy Spirit is the key to authentic Christian life, to discipleship, and without his empowerment, teaching, and guidance, it is impossible to live faithfully. One of the statements in our, uh, uh, in our, uh, 
in our We Believe section on, on, on our uh, website deals with what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And this is part of what it says. We believe that as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us and works through us. Without the Spirit, we can do nothing of real or lasting significance for the kingdom. All our human efforts are of the flesh, but with the Spirit living in us and flowing through us, we become more and more like Jesus, both in character and actions. And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 8. What we believe about the Spirit living and guiding will determine how we view life. Just read the rest of chapter 8. You go ahead and read the rest of chapter 8. I'm not going to tell you about it. You read it. Because if we know the Spirit, there's things that come into our lives that would never, ever, that we never, ever see outside of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 teaches us, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We could go back to the book of John and see that Jesus sent the Spirit to teach and to live in and guide and direct us. And that's exactly what he does. That's what the book of Acts teaches. That's what the book of Romans teaches. We need to understand that the Spirit of God is not some energy that's out there. The Spirit of God is a person who lives and reigns in those who know and love the Lord. We are His temple. In us, if we know Christ as our Savior, the very presence of God lives. So don't use your body in a way that would be displeasing to God Use your body as the temple that would lift up God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. We talked about Romans or Galatians chapter 5, about the works of the flesh, didn't we? But you know, it's interesting that there is a word but that comes right after it that says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now admit it, how many of you sang the song? There you go. Uh-huh. The fruits of the Spirit, when God's Spirit works in us. How different is that when God's Spirit works in me that I show love toward God? What are the greatest commandments that God has given us? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And number two, you will love your neighbor as yourself. How different is that when we have the Spirit's love working through us than if we are depending on the flesh to give us the things that we desire? When we go back and see what the flesh gives us, it gives us enmity. It gives us divisions. It gives us things that don't bring us together. But when we have the Spirit of God working in our lives, it brings about a unity, a peace, 
not only with God, but with each other as we look toward him. But it's faith that God's spirit is in our lives that makes the difference. If we dismiss the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are dismissing the power that we have to be what God wants us to be. Just as we have to have faith to have life in Christ, we have to have faith that the Holy Spirit is capable of leading us to the glorification of Jesus Christ in our lives. The Spirit gives life. The flesh gives death. That's what he says. Just that simple. That's what he says. Let me just say, when we look at Romans 7, 21 through 24, we see a person who demonstrates that he's not satisfied with God. Do we ever find ourselves not being satisfied? We find ourselves being anxious. We find ourselves in despair. We find ourselves with no joy. We go back to the, to the works of the flesh, and those are the things we see. These persons, this person does those same things that a person who has never accepted Christ does. The person who is out there in the world doesn't know the power of God and how God changes things. I'd like to share a video with you. This is Grace Lyons. She was the captain of the NCAA champion lady softball team at the University of Oklahoma. I'm sorry, honey, I fall in love with this girl. In, in a good sense, okay? Hope you'll listen. Always carrying around my gloves, throwing tennis balls off the wall, and hitting with my dad on the court. I played with the boys when there was no softball, and then finally switched over once recruiting started. And that's when it started to get busy. I hungered for competition and strive for excellence. But for a while, you were something that my hands had such a tight grip on. My identity was tied so tightly to a game that leads to failure almost always. Then I met Jesus. I learned 
That was a letter that Grace wrote to softball. For Grace, softball was something that was her goal, was her life, what she looked up to, what she wanted. And she came to know Jesus and recognized that there was a change that comes. I wonder how many of us need to write a letter to something that maybe is so very important to us that gets in our way of being what God wants us to be. You know, I don't know what it is. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's success. Maybe it's riches. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's pride. Maybe there's just a lot of things. But wouldn't it be great if we wrote a letter to it and said, I know Jesus. And I know the power of the Spirit in his life to make me be what God wants me to be. Amen. Amen. Please stand.